I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Scott Stewie, President and CEO of Direct Trust. Direct Trust is best known for creating and maintaining the direct protocol based security and trust framework for secure email messaging and healthcare. Scott will be discussing Direct Trust's recently announced acquisition of consortium Safe Identity and its trust framework. So Scott, for those who aren't familiar with the Safe Identity Consortium and its trust framework, would you just please briefly describe both and why it's a good fit for an acquisition by Direct Trust? Direct Trust and Safe Identity are both very similar in ways that make it fairly easy for us to combine forces. And they're different in ways that when bringing bringing us together, it makes new things possible. So we are both public key infrastructure-based trust frameworks, meaning that underneath the covers, we use X.509 certificates in order to support the secure exchange of information. So in that way, we're similar. The other thing that's really interesting is that the way in which we kind of enable our PKI frameworks are slightly different, but they're still PKI-based frameworks. The Safe Identity Organization has an asset that allows us to make that connection more easily between the direct trust PKI and the safe identity PKI because they have a bridge CA, which makes that possible technically. So from a technical standpoint, it was easy to do, or it will be easy to do, and it still has work to do. We have to do the policy work to make it possible for us to connect. Now, from a functional standpoint, the excitement is really around pulling together these two constituencies and the two different use cases. So from a constituency standpoint, we represent really the predominant users of our network, our provider organizations, and the folks that they want to communicate with. We're on the safe identity side. It's mostly pharmaceutical companies communicating either with with each other or with the government. So those two use cases or those two constituencies then, you know, on our side, from a use case standpoint, mostly health information exchange for them, most authentication and document signing. So, you know, put those two things together. We do all, you know, four of those things for all three of those constituencies or five, you end up with, you know, tons of really easy opportunities to make uh, exciting new things happen. So think of the clinical research organizations that, that need to communicate with both the, the pharmaceutical industry and the provider organizations. We can provide the trust and identity that makes such a, a connection possible. So that's the, the way I think of this is that it's really exciting, technically not as complex because we're, we're very similar, but also because of the differences, we bring together these things and they bring tremendous downstream opportunities for us. So with that said, how do direct trust and safe identity trust frameworks sort of mesh together and how will that combination bolster secure exchange of health information in the sector? Yeah, so one of the key things we've been working on, actually, we've been involved in a conversation with uh, the Karen Alliance and safe identity and with the, the Cantera organization. So all, you know, Cantera and Direct Trust and Safe Identity are all three trust frameworks of a sort. The Cantera side of the of the story is a non-PKI trust framework. But we've tried, been trying to figure out how these things can trust each other. So the benefit of this is particularly interesting in the consumer space, where when you think about how hard it is to get anything to, to, that's going to be usable in it for consumers to scale, that's, I think, the most important opportunity that this represents. So being able to have a trust framework that can accredit the parties 
and identify the parties that want to communicate on this in this scale. So, for example, really what we're talking about is consumers would like to have a credential that they could use to log into lots of different systems to get their health records. Today, they have to do that with separate credentials for each one. So in order to, to enable this in a way that is scalable so that consumer could get their credential from anybody they wanted to and still then use it to get access to, to their health records, regardless of where they're held, then that requires a tr the trust framework to be in place to allow all those players to know each other and trust each other. That's, I think, the key element. So that's, I think, the, the way this kind of comes together. The most exciting thing that people immediately will, will recognize is the opportunity to, you know, frankly, to have a universal credential that you can use as a consumer to get access to your health records. So, Sky, I also understand, and you mentioned some of this, that members will also be able to interact with federal agencies for signing documents and authenticating to systems. Potential use cases could include, again, universally trusted healthcare credentials for consumers, identity assurance and security for the pharmaceutical supply chain, as well as medical device security and identification. Could you please describe how some of those other use cases could work, for instance, medical devices? Yeah, on the medical device side, when you think about the challenge for medical devices, medical devices that work inside the healthcare environment are not necessarily, well, most of them are wireless devices. So they're, they're fundamentally on the open internet in a way. And so increasingly, network perimeters are sort of defined by the, the trust frameworks that hold a, a circle around them. So if you can frankly control how devices are, are identified on a network, then you can make them fundamentally safer, as opposed to having devices with digital certificates that are just uh, commercially available, which just kind of makes them open to the potential for hacking. This basically ties them into a kind of a private use case. They can only be connected to things that they're, that they're expecting to connect to. So that's the device side of this, is basically devices need to be understood in terms of identity on a network just the same way as, as individual users and machines do. So they're just another example of a computer. They are, in fact, a computer in their own right. And so those, those devices need to have identities that can be reliably found on the network and then secured. So that's the device side of this picture. Now, the supply chain side is there's a, a law that's been in place actually for a number of years called the Drug Supply Chain Security Act, or DSCSA. That, what that supports is the notion that the identity-assured individuals in the ecosystem can talk to each other to share information about tracking and tracing pharmaceuticals as they move from the source where they're manufactured to the place where they're going to be dispensed. That journey today is managed in a way that is not very identity assured. So all of the various parties in this ecosystem need to be effectively identity assured so that you know who you're talking to when they say that they've shipped something back to the, the manufacturer or something. So that is the, the, the supply chain exercise is again, just a question of these organizations and devices and individuals being identity assured so that when they exchange, it's clear who they are and who they're talking to. I mean, so that's the supply chain piece. And when you think about, again, when you put together 
an organization that focuses on the pharmaceutical supply side, which is the, the manufacturer aspect of this. And then another organization that's really focused on the provider side of the picture. It allows for us to kind of tie this together from front to back, all the way from the place where the, where the pharmaceutical is, is produced to where it's distributed and then on to where it's, it's ultimately dispensed to, uh, to patients either at the clinical pharmacy, at the hospital, or at, at the pharmacy at, uh, on the corner. So uh, both those models require, I think, this, this kind of identity assurance. So Scott, with that said, we see a lot of entities in the healthcare sector moving to a so-called zero trust sort of strategy. How do you kind of see this fitting in with that? I think the, the advantage of working with the PKI framework is that the, the entities that are on the network are knowably a part of kind of a, a community. So the, the trust community that is established, if you look, for instance, at direct secure messaging, you know, only the intended recipient can decrypt the message. So it's basically a model that is, is closed to the PKI. So uh, in a world where you, you know, have the ability to kind of control all the parties, so everybody has to be sort of a member of the family, that is a very safe way to do it. So PKI-based encryption approaches are among the strongest that there are. We actually believe that this is something that in the current threat environment is going to become more believable for healthcare systems to, for instance, go to stronger credentials for their users in a healthcare environment. As I think everybody is probably aware, you know, the, the risk of ransomware at this point is so high, the considerations of being absolutely certain that you know that anybody who's logging onto your system is somebody who's supposed to be there is I think actually, it now makes uh, such strong credentials more worthwhile and more uh, cost-effective because the costs of ransomware are so high that you, you need to have a strategy that is, is very, very reliable in terms of preventing that kind of thing. And finally, Scott, what's next for Direct Trust? Is there anything else that we should be watching for, for for the remainder of this year and into early 2022? Well, sure. I mean, I think, Marianne, you've watched us kind of grow as a, as a network. So direct secure messaging is still a very core part of what it is we do. And direct secure messaging is fundamentally growing and needs to continue to continue to grow and continue to improve. So one of the things we're going to really focus on is we have a, a direct and practice roundtable that it, the work of that group is to actually identify real things that we can do to kind of improve the way direct secure messaging is working to bring um, more successful use and usability for direct secure messaging in um, between provider organizations and, and, and usage by providers. So that is one of our biggest focuses right now is to make sure that that continues to move forward. This identity ecosystem we're looking to try and plow, I think you can watch for us to try and uh, really kind of make a, um, put a stake in the ground around the consumer identity space as we kind of round the corner in 2022. This is going to be a big focus of our attention, mostly focused on healthcare information exchange. I think that the idea that patients should be able to get access to their own records successfully without having to have credentials for every place they've ever been, and providers should be able to communicate with each other in the fire ecosystem successfully, I think that's where we think our future lies in addition to continuing to grow and support and improve direct secure messaging as well. Well, thank you, Scott. I've been speaking to Scott Stewie of Direct Trust. I'm Marianne Kolbasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.